Welcome to With a Slack Group's podcast. This week we're at our Westmoreland School joined by Jane Woodburn, who is our lead occupational therapist. Thank you for joining us, Jane. So just tell us about your experience as an OT. Hello. Well, I qualified in 1999 and my first job was a basic grade rotation working in the, in the NHS. And in that role, I worked with elderly mental health, adult mental health. I worked on the wards with stroke rehab and orthopaedics. And I also did a part of my rotation working with children. And that was when I decided that I wanted to work with children as, you know, as, 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 as an OT. So then my next job was in Sefton NHS, and I worked with children with autism, with developmental coordination disorder, dyspraxia. It was a, very much a school-based service, so children 4 to 11 years old. Um, and it gave me really good experience working with, with, with children with sort of coordination difficulties and things. In 2008, I started working for the Withersack Group, and I originally worked at Pontville School, and I've been based in various different settings around Withersack Group. Um, and I've worked at Westmoreland since about 2015. Um, and in 2016, I got the role as lead occupational therapist because we expanded the service from having one occupational therapist to having 11 of us. Um, around the country. so And that one occupational therapist was yourself? That one occupational therapist was me, yes. Okay, so now um, can you give us an overview of your current role as lead OT? Well, as lead OT, I supervise all the other occupational therapists, so I, we do clinical supervision, but I'm also sort of the port, their port of call if they've got any questions um, and things. Having said that, if, if people email me, for example, with a clinical question, I'll often encourage them to put that question out to the whole team because we, we've got a wealth of experience and even though I'm the one who's worked for Withersack for the longest, doesn't necessarily mean that I'm the best or the only one to answer a particular question and sometimes by having that email discussion we can really sort of come up with good solutions for people if they've got a, a tricky situation to deal with or something. Um, and it it sort of helps build that team feeling because even though we are a team of 11 or 12 occupational therapists, we are spread around the country. So, you know, we come together for, for meetings sort of about five or six times a year. Um, but apart from that, we, we are sort of spread out. So it's, it's important that, that people feel that they're part of that team. Okay, so there's a lot of teamwork involved in what you do. Yeah. So um, when a child starts at Westmoreland, they go through OT assessments. Can you give us a general overview of what these are and what happens after? Okay, so when, 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 a, when a child starts at Westmoreland, they all have an occupational therapy assessment. And basically what that involves is um, we're, we're looking at if anything is impacting on their on their occupations, and as a child, you know, people say, "Well, children don't have jobs," but actually, occupations means what you do in your in your life that sort of is meaningful for you, or what you need to do to be productive. And so, for a child, um, their occupations are play, um, sort of self care at their developmental levels, so being able to dress themselves, being able to brush their teeth, being able to make a sandwich, that kind of thing, um, 
being able to access their schoolwork, um, being able to play with their friends, those kind of things are their, their occupations. So an occupational therapy assessment, we, we would assess a child's gross and fine motor skills, we would look at their visual perception, and we also look at their sensory processing, and see if any of these, if difficulties in any of those areas are affecting their ability to access learning or to access their play or their occupations. Okay, so what is, um, you've just mentioned gross motor skills, fine motor skills, what are they? Okay, so gross motor skills are the, the, the big movements that you do. So standing up, walking, running, hopping, jumping. Fine motor skills are more precise movements. So things that you do with your hands, so fastening your buttons, um, using a knife and fork, writing, um, drawing, that kind of thing. So, so, you know, things to do with the hands. Okay, so what's visual perception? Visual perception is about how, how your brain interprets what you see. And quite a lot of people, you know, there's sort of lots of different areas of visual perception. There's visual discrimination, um, visual spatial awareness, form constancy, different different aspects of visual perception and you know it, it's being able to understand that how, how, you, how you being able to interpret what you see okay. um, and we use a, a standardized test to to see if a child has difficulties in any of those areas um, and if they do that that might be what's affecting their handwriting um, or their motor skills we have quite a lot of children with handwriting difficulties okay. at Westman School. Right, okay. So um, I'll come back to that um, okay. about the handwriting later on. But um, So what happens after their assessment? What is it that you do as an OT to remedy the okay. this, um, fine motor skills, gross motor skills that you've just mentioned? Okay, so so what we what we do after, after we do an assessment, we write a report um, and we write sort of goals. Um, and we do that sort of in conjunction with, with parents because parents are involved in the assessment because they fill in the questionnaire before um, we do the assessment. So that gives us some information from, from parents and teachers do the same. Um, and we might put in a, a programme into the classroom. We might put a programme in that um, our HLTA will, will do with the child. Or we might actually do a... A therapy program ourselves, um, which which might include using the um, sensory integration equipment in the hall. Um, also, children have access to what we sort of refer to as a a, a, a sensory environment, and yeah. we use sensory strategies for quite a lot of our children as a sort of a a self-regulation uh, to enable them to support support their behaviour. So if, if children are in crisis, quite often if they come to us, we'll, we'll use sensory strategies to help get them back to a regulated state where they can return to the classroom and return to learning. Um, and children are aware that if they're feeling unsettled in class that they can say, can I go and see Jane or can I go and see Amy? Um, and they can come out and they can do some 
sensory strategies. They might go through, we've got a thing called the, the steamroller, which they crawl through and it squeezes them. Um, so it's almost like a hug. It's, yeah, it's, like, it's like a hug. We've got a, a tunnel that they push the ball through and that, that's very tight and it gives a lot of deep pressure, which is very calming. Um, we've got a, a ball pool that they, that they like. And, and a lot of those things, they, they can come out, they can spend a bit of time with us, even if it's only 10 minutes, and then they'll go back to class and, they, and it, it can either you know, get them back to learning and it can avert that sort of escalation and okay. behaviour. Right, OK. So um, in your role, um, you help children develop the daily living skills yes. um, and help break down the barriers to learning. Could you explain this further? Um, I know that you mentioned about the writing, so I'd like to touch on that before you answer it. So um, how do you go about developing um, a child's writing skills? Okay, so we'll look at... When, when we do our assessment, if a child is having difficulties with writing, we'll, we'll, we'll have, a, have a look at, at why that might be. And, and writing is actually a very complex um, activity. And I think it, it's much more complicated than people really give it credit for. For a start, you have to be able to sit on a chair and maintain your posture. If you can't maintain your posture and you haven't got good core stability, then you're not going to be able to use your arm and hand effectively to be able to, to write and form letters. Um, it might be that they've got core stability, but they haven't got shoulder stability. Um, so, you know, we'll look at we'll, we'll look at all that kind of thing. We'll look at whether they can oppose the fingers of each hand to their thumb um, because that, you know, that being able to manoeuvre things in your hands is really important. Visual perception has a massive impact on whether a child can, can write effectively. And for a lot of our children, there's a, a big motivation factor. Um, a lot of them, before they've come to us, have, have experienced writing to be a really challenging activity um, and it's, it's one that can cause an escalation in, in behaviour. And that's because they're frustrated. Because they're frustrated. Yeah. And so just by supporting them and figuring out why this child might be having that difficulty, you know, we can really help them. So sometimes it might be as simple as giving them a, a pencil grip. that Because if they've got very bendy fingers, they might be holding their pencil really tightly, so therefore... Writing becomes really uncomfortable. It's really painful for them. Um, so you're not going to want to write. Yeah. Um, so if you can alleviate that and make it that it's not as uncomfortable, then then you can, you know, hopefully they'll they'll develop the writing skills. So we might give them a pencil grip. We might give them spe some different seating to help them with their their stability. Um, we might work on their their core stability, their their shoulder stability, their um, just general strength, just to sort of impact on their writing. Then we, we'll look at what stage they're at. So some, some children, even though they're, they're in year two or year three, they haven't developed those basic fundamentals of writing and they need sort of pre-writing skills, which is not about actually writing, but it's about being able to, you know, it's playing in the sand, it's, it's drawing with your fingers in in shaving foam, yeah. um, handprints, 
footprints, potato prints, all those kind of things that, that children typically do at, at nursery. Yeah. Um, but our children might not have done because of developmental issues, sometimes for sensory issues, they might not have, like, they might not like the feel of, of that, that kind of thing. So yeah. there's all sorts of, there's so many different reasons. So. Okay. It's really interesting. Yeah. Um, going back to the question then, I suppose, um, what other, um, how else do you help a child develop their daily living skills? So we've, we've touched on writing. What other areas is it that you'd look at? Just an overview. Okay, well, we might look at sort of... A target might be that a child would be able to do their buttons, but you're not going to... We're not going to sit and practice doing buttons because at the end of the day, that's, that's boring. So we'll do a lot of different activities that build up the, the foundations of being able to fasten your buttons. So... We might do a lot of things that involve crawling or, or pulling yourself along with your, you know, with your arms so that you're developing that core and shoulder strength that, that's important for, for those fine motor skills. We might do some activities that encourage children to use their hands together. Um, Paula does, she's our HLTA, she does a lot of activities getting children to to cross their midline, so she'll she'll set up when she's she'll just play a normal game board game with a child, but she'll set things up so that things are positioned on the other side and get them to use if they're right-handed their right hand, but they've got to reach across and get things. Okay. Um, sort of activities like um, threading. I, I, I see Paula quite a lot threading with children threading Cheerios onto spaghetti. Just that sort of that dexterity, and, and it's, it's quite a fun activity. Or, it sounds it, fun. It, it's, finding, it's finding an activity that motivates the child. Um, so everything's really tailored to that child. Everything's tailored to that child, and it's all about, it's about them being motivated because they're not going to engage in, in therapy unless it's fun, unless it's, it, it, it's very much that it's got to be sort of child-led, client-led. That, that's the whole the whole sort of ethos of occupational therapy is that it's it's got to be intrinsically motivating to you as a person because any of us as adults or children or whatever we're, we we're not going to do things that we're not motivated by unless we absolutely have to um and we can all see that in our own lives and so it's, it's got to be something that motivates them Okay, so going back, because you've mentioned a few times about the core, um, I just want to touch on that a bit. What, um, so when a child comes to Westmoreland School, um, you've said that the majority, a lot of the children have um, problems with writing, etc. What prevents them in the early stages of their lives developing that so that they have the um, problems with um, the to sensory, sorry, the what you mentioned earlier. Um, uh, what, the, co the core yeah, stability yeah. and shoulder stability? No, um, so, sorry. So you mentioned that um, the, with the visual perception, there were two others that you mentioned. Oh, the fine and gross motor skills. Yeah, sorry, I couldn't think of the words then. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if you think about... If you think about a baby, yeah. when they're born, like so you've got, you've got an infant, and initially an infant 
is it's it's just focused on feeding. And then as they get bigger, um, you know, they start they start to move their hands and their arms. They start to roll over. They start to crawl. Eventually, they start to walk. Um, so it's a, those general developmental milestones. Sometimes something can happen that prevents those developmental milestones from happening. Um, and it might be that if a child's very poorly in, the early, you know, in those yeah. early stages or if they s- experience neglect. Um, or, I mean, another thing that as an occupational therapist I've seen is that you know, parents were told to put their children to, to sleep on their backs because of cop death and, and it meant to reduce the risk of cop death. And, and there was a time when that was sort of taken to a bigger extreme and, and children weren't put on their tummies at all. And, that, and that's a really important developmental um, milestone for a child to be, you know, to be able to go on their tummy and then from there you often see, like you'll see a baby when they're on their tummy and they push up with their arms and they yeah. go into that sort of, it's, it's a bit like the yoga, the cobra stretch. So they, they do that and then that sort of goes on to, to crawling. But if they're not getting that tummy time... yeah because the parents worried about putting them on their tummy or because they're worried about germs or whatever reason, yeah. then, then they, they miss out on those developmental stages. I think health visitors now are very aware of, of tummy time and the importance of it, and parents are really encouraged to do that. Um, so that can impact. And, and so quite a lot of the children that we see never crawled and they might not have crawled because they didn't have that opportunity, or they might not have crawled because they didn't have the coordination to do it. And it's, it, it's one of those chicken and egg things. Do they not have the coordination because they didn't crawl, or didn't they crawl because they didn't have the coordination? And that's one of those sort of almost unanswerable questions. Um, but another thing that we're, we're seeing now is sort of the impact of technology, really, and... Although technology has its place and it has, uh, you know, it has so many benefits, um, it's it's really changed the way children, even from a very very young age, play. And if they're spending all their time looking at a screen and, and playing sort of virtual games, they're not getting up and running around and moving around and developing those skills. And you know, like like. People, you know, we all did when we were kids. You know, yeah. You didn't. We didn't have those those options. And you know, it's so that there's definite pros and cons of technology, but it's it's getting that balance. So. Okay. So um, going back to the children at West Morland School, it can be frustrating for them when they can't access learning in the classroom. Um, how do you help them to self-regulate? We have touched on it with the. Um, with them having access to yourself mm. and um, Anne, Amy. Sorry, Amy. Amy. <laughs> um, how how um, how do you go about that? Well, when when we do an assessment or when we just sort of see children around school um, or looking at their paperwork when they come in, yeah. we we sometimes know before a child comes in that this is going to be one that we're going to need to to spend time with and work with and that they're going to need that sort of sensory input. But, you know, there's, there's various things. Like, like we touched before on that they can come out to sort of access sensory strategies. But another thing that, that we sort of encourage is 
within the classroom is movement breaks, sort of regular movement breaks. We're not designed to sit for hours and hours on end. And I, I think it's, it's really important that everyone understands that, that children need to move. And so it's, it's giving them opportunities to get up and move around the classroom. Um, you know, we, do, we encourage structured movement breaks, so they might get up and do some star jumps or they might do some, some animal walks or some marching on the spot. Um, we also do things like some of them have seating that, that, that moves. We've got a couple of Zuma chairs in, in school, and those are chairs that are they're like a rocking chair, and so that gives sort of movement. Um, some of the children have moving sit cushions, which are inflated cushions that give them movement. We've just, I haven't actually tried them with any children yet, but we've just got some one-legged stools, which sounds okay. a bit um, random, but, but, but they're, they're actually really nice. I've been sitting on one, and, and um, it, it, you have to sort of sit up straight. You can't yeah. slump and slouch on it, because you, you probably would just fall off it. But it, it, for those children who need a bit of movement, then it, it can give them that, but it can teach them how to sit down also we 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 also have um we haven't got any yet but we're going to get some standing desks so that that's an alternative for some people standing up to work is is actually better than sitting down um so so there's all that those sort of things in the classroom we also do sensory circuits which we're rolling out around the school and we've we've started it in i think we're into three classes now um and our HLTA is leading those, and they're, they're, they're really quite sort of structured activity times that happen at the same time every day, and you have a sort of an alerting activity, um, which might be jumping or marching or um, hopping, or, and then you have an organising activity, which is a more of a focused game, so it might be they, they might have to sort of move from the, the red to the blue to the green squares or they um, there's some stop start type things so they have you know, it's a bit more sort of cognitive based and then it finishes up with a calming activity which might be a bit of yoga or that kind of thing so when they go back into class they're hopefully calm and regulated and ready to ready to work and ready to learn um, have you so seen have you seen a direct impact from that so as soon as a child takes place part in the circuit, have you seen that they engage more in learning afterwards? We have, and we actually, we, we did one term with, with one class, and we spoke to them at the, spoke to the children at the end, and they, they've carried on with, with their teachers, so they're still doing it, but they're not doing it with Paula anymore. Um, and they, we asked them, and they all said, yes, it helped them, that yes, they really enjoyed it. And um, one little boy said, you know, it makes me feel better. It makes me it makes me be ready to to, to do my work, and that was a really nice yeah. bit of feedback to get from that child. So he could see that impact, um, and I think in general, children have have sort of responded really well to the to the options of the sensory input. Um, you know, we've had. We've had some of the children have said things like, you know, ask them why they like it. You know, it makes me feel safe. It makes me feel calm. Um, and, and if we can get them understanding that sort of thing, then they're more in a position to be able to, 
support their own regulation. And that's sort of the next step that we're sort of moving on to now, rather than, you know, we'll continue with all those things where we're supporting the regulation, but, but ultimately we want children to be able to self-regulate, um, not having a teacher or an occupational therapist doing it for them, if you yeah. see what I mean. So that yeah. they can, they're progressing and yes. um, when they do get to adulthood, well, their teenage years and then adulthood, they're able to deal with situations. That's well. right, yeah. Because yeah. you haven't always got somebody beside you saying, oh, well, I think you need to do this now. And you haven't always got, you know, the equipment that we've got here. But so it's finding things that are, that work in, in sort of, the real world, if you like. Yeah. So, so we're looking at a, at a program called Zones of Regulation, um, which is a, it's it's it was written by an occupational therapist, but it's not about it. It, it covers sort of sensory regulation, emotional regulation, um, and so we're going to be rolling that out across the, the school. Okay, so. brilliant. Okay, so. Um, in your role, you work with teaching staff to equip them with the knowledge to help a child develop skills. Um, like we've mentioned, writing and then eating as well is one of the skills that you develop as an OT. Can you give us an insight into this? How do you support teaching staff? Um, and that is, I know it's a, quite a big question, so if you could just give us an overview okay. on that. Well, ba basically, we've done some, we, we do training for staff, so... And, and our training sort of gives a bit of an overview of what, what OT is, what sensory processing is, and visual perception, that kind of thing. And we actually get them to do some activities that give them a bit of an insight into how a child might feel. Um, you know, sort of things like drawing around a, a star, um, drawing around a star, what, but they can only see in the mirror, and... Okay. Um, you know, just different things like that, or stepping over obstacles but only looking through binoculars or opening sweets with gloves on, which, which is some of the, the ways that obviously we're not, it's not exactly the same as what our children are experiencing, but it gives them a bit of an insight into how difficult things can be and how frustrating it is. So that's sort of the training. But also, just sort of on a general day-to-day -day basis, after we've assessed, we'll talk to a teacher and sort of say, you know, explain what we've found. If, if there's sort of particular support that we want them to put in, we'll discuss that with them. Um, and I think it's just um, they, they know that we're here and that we look at things with a sort of different hat. And, you know, our, our ultimate aim is, is all the same, but we're all looking at things from a slightly different way and it can just help explain a child's behaviour. So it's just sort of being there and... Um, being available to, to help. Okay, so just before we end the podcast, um, I mentioned eating, how you develop skills um, such as writing and eating, and I just want to touch on eating. Right, okay. Um, how does that look like for a, children, for a child at Westmoreland School when they join? Um, what are the typical problems that you encounter and how do you go about um, remedying that? Well, a lot of our children have... A very restricted diet. Okay. Um, and is that because of textures? Of food? It can be to do with textures. It can be to do with um, if they haven't got the motor control. You know, if they're the, those low tone kids, if they haven't got that motor control to be able to chew and swallow effectively. Um, you know, that that kind of thing. Um, it might just be experience that that's what they get at home. That that's what that's what they ask for. That's what they 
that's what they want. It, might, it can sometimes be about control. Yeah. Um, so some of them have those, that very restricted diet. Um, so that's sort of one side of things. Another side is that whole being able to use the knife and fork, yeah. which, again, is another very complicated skill, and, and we've got some quite young children here, and so developmentally it, it's difficult to be able to use your, your fork to stabilise and your knife to cut. And, then yeah. put, and, and lots of our children don't have that skill, and they'll just go in with their hands. And, and, again, that might be that they haven't had the experience of using a knife and fork, or they haven't got the skills to use the knife and fork. Um, I think a lot of children don't have that experience of sitting around a table. Um, you know, there's, there's lots of different different issues. Um, so what, what what we'll look at is, again, it's those motor skills. We'll look at the. Um, we, we've just ordered actually some cutlery that's a, that's sort of shaped and it's a bit easier to hold. So hopefully we'll get that soon to sort of to help work on those actual skills of, of using a knife and fork yeah um and then in terms of the, the the sensory side of things we look at that whole sensory processing in general and that whole sensory regulation and rather than tackling the the, the food and sort of because lunchtime you don't want to get you don't don't want to get into a big battle. Yeah. You, you know, you want, you want them to eat something. But, you know, encouraging children to try something new, um, even if they don't eat all of it, just, just encouraging them to have a taste of something new. Yeah. That kind of thing. Okay. Um, and just encouraging them to, to be involved with food again, if they're not, even if they're not eating it, like chopping, chopping vegetables up, fruits, um, you know, dip, having access to different fruits and things. It's, it's just experience and yeah. giving them giving them those options. That's really interesting. Okay, so that brings us to the end of the questions for you, Jane. I just want to say thank you for your time. Um, you can listen to more support and advice from our experts by visiting our website www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Thank you.